Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now I'm very pleased to be carrying on uh, my conversation with the novelist Lionel Shriver. Uh, last week we were talking about Brexit and populism, what these things meant. And we're just going to be carrying on from that now, Lionel. We talked about the different types, if you like, of Brexit. But as well as the, as it were, the somewheres and the anywheres, as David Goodhart has called them, there seem to be this body of people now, which I would characterise as being nowhere, as people who just simply are appear to be against the nation, want mm. to traduce the nation. Do you, is that something you recognise in this current situation? I recognise it because I grew up with it in the United States. Right. Uh, the liberals in the, in the U.S. have for decades and decades uh, prided themselves on how much they hate their country. And, or, or if they express any kind of patriotism, it's always kind of backdoor patriotism. Yeah. So uh, it's always, you know, I love my country but, emphasis yeah. on but. but yeah. uh, obsessed with all the evil things that the country has done in the past, and when they travel, they, they travel in a state of ap apology. They feel ashamed of being American. But here's the thing, and you can easily transfer this to Britain. Uh, they don't really feel ashamed because they don't think they're American. Explain. <laughs> this whole posing and you know the, the, right. the posturing about about how terrible your country is and how disgusting your compatriots are is a way of opting out of the country. Mm -hmm. It's a way of making yourself better mm -hmm. than your fellow Americans and uh, putting yourself above them because it's only from, uh, from a great height that you can make these contemptuous judgments. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an opt-out and uh, it's saying, um, I know everything that's wrong with us and therefore it is not wrong with me. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. And 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 there is a it, it the the intention is to distance and to disown, and therefore, all of these mean things that you're saying about those disgusting other people do not pertain to you. So it's very narcissistic, really. It is entirely narcissistic. It's a kind of showing off. Yeah. It's a performance of of virtue and. And conscience, and 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 it's it's showing off your awareness of of the the big issues, and you're not partisan. You may have been born into a country, but you're not trapped by it. You're greater than that country. Yeah, it's it's total narcissism. I mean, I think citizen of the world must be the most self-aggrandizing label that anyone gives to themselves, and in fact. People who call themselves that, do they give themselves that label? No one else does. I am a citizen of the world, as it were. I am not just of this place, as it were. Well, also claiming that for yourself is peculiar when, if there is such a thing as citizen of the world, then that applies to everybody. Yes, exactly, exactly. When do you think, I mean, you, you grew, grew up with this in the United States. I grew up with it here. This kind of level of, of basic... This is, you know, the sort of cultural self-hatred, really. Mm -hmm. And here, a lot of the time, people would say, oh, well, this is the British being reticent about their past. No. I'd say there's a difference between being reticent, you know, and, and kind of being understated and all of that stuff. And 
But what I think you see increasingly is this kind of desire to actually dismantle, this desire to actually uh, annihilate, actually, in a way, uh, the past or, or your country or whatever. Yeah, it's, it is a strange impulse. Yeah. It, al it also Ultimately, it's rather anarchic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but where do you think, if we both know what we're talking about, how did this originate? You know, it wasn't the case, presumably, for our parents' generation. No, World War II brought out something in most people in relation to their country. Right. Uh, it, it, countries mattered yeah, yeah. in World War II, and countries saved other countries. Um, and so it's definitely a post-war phenomenon. Hmm. Uh, I'm not a good enough historian to to explain the forces of it. I just uh, can only respond to it in um, in relation to its psychology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and it is definitely a, a claiming of superiority in in a writhing pretend uh, hair shirtery, you know. Uh, all of this stuff about uh, about how guilty the West feels. These the people who promote Western guilt, they don't feel personally guilty. They don't feel guilty. Yeah. They feel yeah. smug. Yes, yes. Because yeah. because they know all the evils that the West has has uh, has been guilty of, and 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 that makes them superior. Mm. I often find these, you know, these big public apologies that Western leaders have sometimes made for slavery, or, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just, they don't feel sorry. Yeah. They didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. And they know they didn't do anything. And these people who claim to feel guilty know they didn't do anything. They didn't enslave anybody personally. They're not, they're not responsible for slavery. They didn't kill any Indians, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. It's fake. It's emotionally fake, and that's. I mean, as a as a person and as a novelist, I have to say, I I have a a real sensitivity to emotional falsity, yeah. and that's what really puts me off about the hard left. They're fake, and all the emotions they claim for themselves are stand-ins for something else. You could actually put together a little set of equations. On a couple of occasions, you, well, say, you, you've taken them on, even if maybe not intentionally, you say the hard left or whatever, but this institutionalized approach. Right. Right. If you're talking about identity politics, for example, which we all apparently seem to have to now, um, I would say they spring from the same kind of impulse, don't they? That they, they're all about, they're about your, your position in the pantheon of victimhood in a way, aren't they? Well, of course, this has been much discussed. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, no matter how much we despair of this way of thinking, it doesn't go away. Yeah. You know, and uh, we're we're raising whole generations now to believe that it, you have to you have to be able to feel sorry for yourself to have any power. You have to you have to have 
some terrible disadvantage. And every, you know, honestly, I think one of the things that the Me Too movement is, has been about is a bunch of white women discovering mm -hmm. their disadvantage, mm -hmm. you know, and glorying in in their victimhood, because hitherto white women have been only this far from the bottom on the victimhood totem pole. So it's been really exhilarating to be able to feel sorry for yourself and to celebrate how badly you've been treated. You, you made a speech uh, a few years ago um, at the Brisbane Literary Festival, I think it was. Yes. And it was about an aspect of this, which is something we're hearing about cultural appro appropriation. Um, this idea is somehow that, well, I guess we've got to keep in our own silos or whatever it was. But can you tell us about that? Because a lot of people were very angry with what you, what you said. But yeah, you to, to my astonishment. I mean, this uh, concept has taken off since then, and I even worry that I may have helped it along mm. just by opposing it. Uh, I, when I first wrote that speech, I was worried that it would be um, basically a, a setting up a straw man because it was such a stupid concept that I was opposing that it, it, its illegitimacy seemed self-evident. Yeah. Basically, I worried that the speech was going to be boring. Right. Okay. And I guess in the end, it was anything but. No, not quite. Um, but you know, I I, I think the. Uh, alas, the concept has spread enough that it doesn't need a lot of explaining, but the idea is that you you may not borrow from other cultures it, it's, without, per, you know, you look up the definition, without permission, though, how uh, a anything to do with that culture and how one seeks that permission is, is utterly mystifying. Um, and this comes, doesn't it, from the idea... Well, it actually originated in, hilariously in the fashion industry. Right. You know, uh -huh. whether or not white people can wear dreadlocks or, you know, can, can, uh, can designers borrow fashions from Japan or India yeah. and, and play with those concepts in their clothes? And, of course, my answer is yes. Why not? But isn't this... Whom are they hurting? Isn't, isn't this meant to be the whole point, in a way, of multiculturalism? Or, or you know, we're meant to celebrate diversity. You would think. And the thing is, is that what, what is one of the things that is used most to, to talk about this whole area? It is food, isn't it? It's cuisine. Right. right? So I think you've made this point. What, what about, therefore, London is full of different ethnic restaurants, different cuisine. What, is that appropriation? Oh, obviously. Because I mean, if you, if you take the concept seriously, basically you just have to stay home. Mm. Because anything you do or say or 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 imitate or buy is a kind of stealing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a it's a dysfunctional idea on every level. First of all, how do you define a culture? You know, what is a culture? Most people have no idea. I kind of had no idea what a culture is. It doesn't have any boundaries. It's a very mushy concept. And and insofar as there is any such thing as a coherent culture you know, American black culture or um, Indian culture or Pakistani culture, fine. Let's, let's presume there is something to it. They're constantly interacting. Yeah. We constantly borrow from each other. 
Uh, and I would also uh, argue that uh, basically the whole world belongs to you during the time you are alive. That, yeah. you know, these other cultures, these other people out there doing different things and saying different things and having different traditions are part of your experience and therefore they belong to you. Uh, we're not alive for very long and while we're here we own the world. We own all our own, all our experience and all our perceptions of others. So, and besides which, you know, I'm big on the concept of play. My career is all built on play. Why can't we play with each yeah. other's toys? Yeah, but it, it seems that at the basis of this, something is which is extremely important, which I would have thought as a writer is probably one of the most important things facing you. Uh, it's the idea that only particular people can tell particular stories, isn't it? That's yes. what is behind the whole Interestingly, when I gave that speech, virtually no one was claiming that fiction writers couldn't tell stories from uh, the point of view of, of characters that were very different from themselves, including of a different race or religion. Uh, and within short order, because I was basically just trying to head that off, because yeah. if, you, if you applied it to fiction, then that's, that would be the case, that you wouldn't be allowed to, uh, to write from the perspective of other, other people. And in short order, yes, indeed, that's exactly what happened. That suddenly uh, we, we had this uh, notion in the literary world that it was a very dangerous thing to do to write from the perspective of a, another group of people. And then they even fashioned this creepy expression, stay in your lane. Stay in your stay lane. Stay in your lane. But this negates virtually an entire culture, doesn't it? I mean, does it mean... Well, it negates whole careers. It negates yeah. fiction. It means it's the end of fiction. It, 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 you know, one of the things you're not supposed to... Someone like me is no longer allowed um, to use AAVE, African American Vernacular English. So how would that actually in In my work. So that means that if I have uh, black, uh, say black American characters um, who have a kind of street way of talking, they have to have perfectly correct English because I'm not allowed to avail myself of how they actually talk. And basically I have to write bad fiction and I have to write bad dialogue. And it cannot um, have any uh, sense of verisimilitude about it. Yeah. And, this is no way to be, this is no way to read. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's no fun. And most importantly, you know, who says? This is, this is, I think, what's most important, and this goes beyond cultural appropriation, has to do with all these different new little rules that seem to be coming down the pipeline, uh, uh, applying to, not just to writers, but basically to everyone. Who says? Yeah. Who says? Who's handing down these rules? And what, what bothers me is the way in which we're empowering, I don't know, some 19-year-old in a bedroom with a Twitter account yeah, to yeah. tell us what to do. And little by little, some of these shrill opinions about what, what you're allowed, uh, they're filtering into... Uh, 
schools and places of employment and publishers, and and suddenly the, 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 these rules achieve institutional reality. Are people scared? I mean, are publishers scared? Are people who would write, are they kind of therefore nervous about what they're going to write? I th yeah, I think right now they are. I'm a little nervous. Mm. You also had a, a bit of a run, did you, you not, with a uh, publisher with Penguin. Uh, it was something about they wanted to, it was promote diversity it, in their authors or something, but almost in a kind of arbitrary way, wasn't that right? It wasn't arbitrary, it was mathematical. Right, okay. Uh, I got into big trouble for this, but uh, I, I was sent this uh, posy email that went to the agents of all of their authors, and it was proclaiming that it was their intention by 2025 to achieve uh, a perfect reflection of the UK population mathematically uh, in relation to gender, sexual preference, race, ethnicity, disability, and class. Right, and class. So, uh, for example, they were no longer going to have any educational requirements whatsoever mm. of the staff they hired, which I wasn't sure was an indictment of uh, publishing or uh, English education. <laughs> um, but this just doesn't make, this is just crazy. It doesn't make it's, any it's sense. The, the complexity boggled the mind. It seemed completely impractical. And furthermore, it did not seem remotely in the interest of publishing good books, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I made fun of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were a couple lines taken out of uh, context, and because there's a certain cabal out there that's, you know, hungry for new enemies, mm -hmm. um, what I said was twisted around uh, to be anti-diversity. Right, right, right. And, you know, I thought, I wanted to preserve uh, publishing for white people, and and uh, and I was the the ridicule, which was very specifically aimed at the publishing company and its um, dopey new policy, uh, was twisted around to be aimed at diverse writers. So, you know, I was making fun of diverse writers. It, it was, but the, you know. In some ways, it was interesting because I, I think this is happening to a lot of people. Mm. Uh, that's, uh, in some ways, the nature of social media. There, there, it, it's a forum that is very good at, at taking things out of context and little snippets. It's, it's, it's oriented towards little snippets. Yeah. And, uh, and it was probably uh, importantly informative to discover how people are now eager to project on what you write, whatever they want to, the better yeah. to yeah. to deplore it. Yes. Right. Yep. So it didn't matter what I had really written; it mattered what they say said I had written, and that it, that was a discouraging revelation, because you you cannot defend yourself against what you didn't say. <laughs> it's just, it, and and for me, I mean, I did a second column on this and addressed the fact that, for, especially for a professional writer, this was this was the ultimate uh, 
hell mm. because it means language doesn't function. It means words just don't mean anything. If, if people can twist what you write enough, then there is no point in writing anything because someone else is really writing it for you. you they're going to project onto you what they wish to read and what they wish to see. And in that case, the, the whole exercise is out the window. I mean, that you might as well just watch TV. Again, what it also means is that you, you know, you can't give your characters things to say. Isn't that right? I mean, you know, the... Oh, that's another issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that I use in novels, because I do sometimes take on larger social issues, yeah. uh, is the is having uh, characters disagree with each other yeah. and or, or having a character take a, an extreme view, yeah. um, which may be the kind of logical endpoint of a certain direction. That, and you can get a sense of dimension and, um, and energy mm -hmm. by r having people represent views that are not necessarily the authors. Uh, the, the trouble is that lately, uh, Literary criticism, insofar as there is any, um, has become so crude mm. that uh, now people just uh, interpret everything in the book as a, uh, as uh, the voice of the author. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Just describing something or stating something immediately is seen as a position, isn't it? Yes. Even by just describing. I know that happened with Michel uh, Hulberg in France, definitely, yes, very, very much so. Um, I suppose that what this means really uh, is that you are seen as an anomaly, surely, in, in, in literary circles. I mean, uh, I, mean I think that they see you as being the person the, to talk to about, you know, as it were, politically incorrect things in that crude way. Isn't that right? I mean, no, no other writer does. I mean, no other... Why I don't not? know any artist who does. I mean, I really ask you, why not? I yeah. do feel kind of lonely in the uh, political position that I end up occupying, and I don't understand why, out of sheer self-interest, other writers, especially other fiction writers, yeah. don't voice many of the same viewpoints. I mean, freedom. ultimately, we're, we're still talking about the broader issue of freedom of speech. And it's really important for people who express themselves for a living to be given maximum latitude. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just get the impression that an awful lot of my colleagues have traded in that uh, the, the liberty of their profession for uh, a, a cozy group membership. Uh, well. I worked in the arts for quite a long time as a journalist and program maker, and, and there certainly was a group thing even even then. I mean, there's no, no question about it. Um, thank you, Lana, very much. Uh, I think very shortly, or in May, I think it's May 22nd, I think you're going to be discussing in London, you're going to be part of a panel talking about identity politics, I think. Uh, isn't that right? Or a yeah, it's, uh, it's actually a formal debate for um, Intelligence Squared, squared. and uh, the proposition is something like identity politics is tearing society apart. Right, okay. Of course, the, the answer is right. yes, and then everyone can go home. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> right, great. Uh, Intelligence Squared uh, in May, May 22nd. Lionel, thank you very, very much again for coming on. Um,
great conversation. Uh, thanks so much for watching. So what you're saying is, please do subscribe, won't you? That would be our lifeblood. Uh, it's absolutely free. And see you next time.